Hi, everyone. Welcome to the next Eternal Leadership Podcast. Sandra Crawford-Williamson here with John Ramstead. Hey, John. Hey, how are you, Sandra? Doing great. We're so excited. We have the most incredible person on the podcast today, Kari Anderson. She is an Emmy Award winner. She's a former NBC and Wall Street Journal reporter. Now she's what is called a connective behavior and quotability speaker. Um, And we'll learn more about that here in a minute. But she's an author and columnist for Forbes, Huffington Post. Her TED Talk has been seen over 2.2 million times. Uh, It's on the the web of humanity, be an opportunity maker. Her clients are, you know, super diverse, Salesforce, Novartis, the Skoll Foundation. She's uh, a founding board member of Annie's Homegrown. And, you know, we have a lot of Annie's products in our pantry right now. So thank you, Kari, for being a part of such an amazing uh, company. Co-founder of Nine Political Packs and author of several, several books, Mutuality Matters, Moving from Me to We, Getting What You Want, and my personal favorite, Resolving Conflict Sooner. She's also on the advisory board of the Business Innovation Factory, Glooped, TEDx Marin, and World Affairs Council. And, uh, you know, I love this quote, David Rockefeller Jr., said after hearing Kari speak, Kari forever changes how you see yourself and your world. How how impactful must she be? Crazy. And, you know, John, this, this whole concept of mutuality uh, is really what a lot of her stuff's based on. Yeah? Yeah, I agree. So here's what you're going to hear today. And, you know, think about... Uh you know, what we're trying to accomplish, right? Our, our whole theme this year is, right, how do we just equip people and empower them to move into action and launch everybody else? We want to get better results. We want to have better relationships, better marriages, better relationships with our kids. And and we, we really dive into some amazing concepts with Kari around what she calls mutuality. And what this is really is how do we really develop and bring out the best in the people around us? especially, and this is part of our conversation, is people that have maybe different beliefs or are coming from a different perspective. And as we know, in in the world that we live in today, people are very, um, you know, sometimes our beliefs become a barrier to communication and productivity and getting outcomes done. And Kari scenes that that those distinct and separate things uh, that are inside of us as actually huge assets that we can leverage if we show up with the right mindset, uh, you know, we always talk about, you know, how do we just show up as the best person and help the people around us become the best? And, and that is kind of how I see what, what this is. It's really how do we identify and move rapidly toward the results, create opportunities, and, and, and then be able to kind of grow and, and, and reap the benefit of the, the fruit that comes out of that. You know, John, what I love about Kari is, you know, we can apply it every day in our, in our lives. I mean, you and I are master multitaskers, right? And so we consider that an asset. Um, but she's got some really great just everyday tips about eye contact, being totally focused on the person that's in front of you. And she has just some really crazy research with companies such as Disney about being in the moment with the person you're there with, slightly raising your eyebrows, making eye eye contact, you know, slight nods. 
um, that are just really, when you read her books, are really powerful. So, um, you know, she's going to go through some of that today with us. And I think the audience is just going to absolutely love Kari by the end, just like we do. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're also going to discuss in here how to communicate better, how to deal with conflict, how to resolve conflict, how to handle people that are causing conflict. Um, we all know who those folks are. So you guys are going to love this interview with Kari. And um, here you go. We're going to interview somebody fabulous today. Are you ready? Yes, we are. And she's a mutual friend with two people I just have some of the deepest respect for, Dory Clark and Mark Sanborn, who are both people that have said, you need to talk to Kari and have her on the podcast and, and just hear what she's all about. And we've been following you for a couple of years, Kari. And, and finally, we, we get to have you live on the podcast. And we are both totally excited. Honored to be here, truly. I think she's our first Emmy winner that we've uh, been able to interview. Is that right, John? You know, that's correct. And um, you know what? You've, you've, you were at the Wall Street Journal. Um, Sandra was featured in the Wall Street Journal. And I have read the Wall Street Journal. So we all have that in common also. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love it. And, you know, David Rockefeller Jr. has this great quote about Kari. He says, Kari will forever change how you see yourself and your world. I mean, how powerful is that? So we're thrilled, Kari. Thanks for being here. I'm honored to be here. So, so Kari, you know, before we start, um, I'd love for you to share a little bit of just to kind of about you know, your journey and everything that, you know, that has kind of brought you to this point in life, just as a way for the audience to get to know you before we really dive into um, some of the areas that we're going to talk about. I'm often asked that. I was raised to not talk about myself, so it's always been rather odd. But the surprising thing to many might be that I was diagnosed as uh, obsessively shy, and I was a... Um, <laughs> I bunched up my words when I was little and didn't talk much till college. I really believe that God guides us, and if we notice um, the patterns of what's coming up and where our attention is drawn to, we know our true path. So uh, there was a wonderful man in college at Stanford who said, to quote him, you asked so goddamn many questions, Kari. I think you have the making of being a, a journalist. And, excuse me, my wife's not going to like that quote. He wound up being the bureau chief in London where I worked for the Wall Street Journal. And he did something. This is an actionable lesson. He said, Kari, I send you out to do a story. And then you stand there and you ask him all these other questions, too. If I send some people, they have their face back. So please come back and, as usual, do the story I sent you for. But take notes on those other people. He said, there may be another story where their angles will be unusual and unexpected but credible. And it will make the story better. So basically, I've learned that when you observe enough of people, you might see a talent in them they don't yet recognize. And that's been a life path for me. And it pulls people in rather than pushing at them. Yeah, and so somebody saw a talent in you, um, right? You kind of saw yourself as the shy person coming out of, you know, stuttering, which I could imagine, right? You, you weren't uh, didn't probably do a lot of speaking, but you were great at asking questions. Somebody saw that talent in you. Um, and, you know, what, what have you done as you've kind of also gone along and seen, you know, some of these talents in others and, you know, how do you encourage and, and bring that out in them? I think we do it by being specific. 
when you just said this or when I observed you doing this, it occurred to me that you are really good at blah, blah, blah. So that specificity really helps. And um, it's funny, but there's something called the curse of knowledge. The more we know something, the more we often speak in generalizations about it or we dive down in the middle of it so people don't understand. So I think one of the things I learned after interviewing so many people for print and um, a magazine of the year on TV is to just observe, but also confirm. Um, there's a book called A Mindset, and mm. it says, ask follow-up questions. Nicholas Epley wrote it. And asking follow-up questions, because we, we're often too quick to assume we know what someone said and why they said it or why they didn't say something. And there's some research that shows in the United States and many of the Western cultures, we're less inclined to listen closely and ask a pertinent follow-up question. We're more likely to revert it back to ourselves. Yeah, let me throw something in there on that. Um, and on my companies, my teams, uh, the mastermind groups um, in, the, in the companies that I work with now as clients, uh, we've implemented a rule. Like how many of us have had people answer give us an answer to a question that wasn't the question that we asked. It was what the person heard, right? And how much time does that waste? And um, what, I, what we always do is whenever somebody makes a statement or is maybe seeking advice or they're seeking information, we would ask two open-ended clarifying questions. And here's just a great guide uh, because most people have struggle with asking open-ended questions. If you start uh, a phrase with the word what, that can really help you open it out. Like, you know, Kari, what specifically, you know, do you need? Or, you know, what is it about this process? You know, what is your thinking behind this? Where are you stuck? Um, but, you know, that's just kind of a side note for people as a, as a takeaway because that can really make the communication more effective and often also kind of opens up the bridge to get to learn and understand more about the people around you, which is also very important. Yes, I'm intrigued. You know, your TED Talk has had about 2 million views, you know, the web of humanity becoming an opportunity maker. And so, Kari, as I look at this and, you know, your amazing body of work, I'm really drawn to a lot of the, the stuff you write on conflict, because obviously, whether it's with our child's teacher or the person at the Starbucks drive through or our here at work or our boss, everyone encounters conflict probably on a daily basis. And you have a really different way of looking at it, don't you? Uh, different than some people, perhaps, because I've learned from them. But I think speaking to their positive intent, especially when they appear to have none, makes it more likely to bring it out. So, for example, someone sounds really loud and abrupt and says insulting language. If you say something like, it's clear you feel strongly about this too. Shall we explore to see if there's any common uh, area of uh, mutual interest on this? So also allowing someone to save face and self-correct, you can always leave yourself room to escalate. But ironically, I believe in revenge. <laughs> and <a sweet laughs> revenge is a well-lived life. I've also said to people, when you're starting to feel really upset and angry, then just remember this, you never have a chance to look at good as when you're around someone who's not. And I'll just say very, very briefly, I covered a um, football game 
in Spain, and it was not my area of expertise at all. But this football plane was fierce, and there was a guy from Barcelona and a, another one from Brazil, and this dark-haired, dark-skinned man from Brazil. People started yelling racial epithets at him while I was playing. And I was startled because I didn't think of that happening. And then the timeout, and then he walked back on when the game was to resume, and this one man stood up and he threw a banana right down in front of him. There's a thing about bananas and African-Americans and monkeys. It's just horrible. And I was just shocked. But he just walked towards the banana, picked it up nonchalantly, peeled it back, took a bite, threw it over his head, and kept on walking back onto the field. And it was like an enormous, fast change. And then later on, some of the other kids got up. I saw on one side, and I got a picture of it. And they were standing up, and they were miming him they were throwing something nothing over their shoulder like him and it just turned it around in that moment and the bottom line was that there's so many people are upset maybe they were racist too but they didn't want that kind of bad reputation for the country so they told the man who ran the stadium you know you can find that guy don't let him in again tell him that but then this man who was had the banana thrown at him he said oh no let him come back maybe he'll learn but those two actions, what he did and why he stood up for the man coming back, made him become famous outside the um, sports world. And what? it's it's been a real honor that stuck in my mind. It was eight years ago. Yeah. Well, wow. You know, you know, here's a question for you. I, I was recently had the privilege to meet a woman who's a chief master sergeant of the Air Force. He's the senior enlisted person in charge of EEO, Equal Opportunity. And so all of the uh, sexism, racism, all those kind of issues that come up between, you know, commander and, 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 and uh, airmen and peers and all these things that happen in the, their workplace. She said 80 to 85 percent of these conflicts could be resolved if people had the conversational skills to talk to each other. About 10 or 15 percent of these actually require our group to take action, but a majority of their time is just constantly, you know, mediating um, these conversations. And I'd love your thoughts on, you know, as people, and I, I think that's probably a pretty common uh, percentage, uh, you know, what do you think the reason is when there is a conflict, a disagreement, I feel wounded, that people are very uncomfortable going to somebody else and having that conversation that can actually build a relationship or clarify a situation or, you know, heal, heal the situation. Well, when you're talking about certain sectors, such as the military, when there's been so much racism and sexism and um, troubles that people have had are gay, I think it's hard if the culture doesn't support you having an opportunity to rectify it. And I think there's some steps that have been taken in the last few years and some steps back. So really, they are endangered when they try to speak up. And one of the best things I can say is having a third-party witness there say, clearly you said something that's important to you. Um, let me t see if we can figure out a way that what I want to do and how to behave and what you want is right. I want to respond specifically to the concern you have and see what you think. But having a way to have a witness is pretty vital in some situations where it's very hierarchical and you may have a lot less clout, and you know the record, what the record's been when certain people have done certain things. In other situations where you're criticized or attacked 
or insulted, I think you have more options. And the options might be to just say, well, clearly um, this is something we feel strongly about, to say it again, or that you do. Um, let me just think about that a bit, and I'd like to get it back with you. Is that okay? So giving them a pause so you have a pause will help. Different cultures within different organizations, it's much faster to bring the culture down into more conflict and isolation um, than it is to bring it up. Anytime we um, get upset, it's more intense and it lasts longer. So it takes a real practice and an advanced thinking, say, if someone does attack me or criticizes me, what, what, what am I going to do? First, am I going to exhale? Second, I'm going to look grounded. I'm not going to have a frown or maybe not even a smile. But I'll look directly at them and say, let me think about that for a moment or whatever your angle is you're going to do. I like that. Three specific things. Exhale, make eye contact and have a, you know, not a mean face, not a, you know, sarcastic, happy face, but just eye contact with a, what I call a strong face and then say, let me think about that. I'm going to use that later today. <laughs> That's wonderful. You know, I have this thing that I that I did, Kari. You can tell me what you think. When I'm engaging with someone and, you know, their initial contact is abrupt or short or angry, I will often pause and look at them and say, oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry. You must be having a tough day. Is there anything I can do to support you? And that just knocks people, you know, off their their angry soapbox or whatever bad moment they're having and, and makes them self-check. Because that's really often all we need is just to have something that makes us go, oh, wait a minute, I'm, I'm coming across a little differently than I intended. And that's been something I developed uh, over the years. <laughs> so what, what do you think? Give me an A plus 100 smiley face on that one. <laughs> So sometimes rather than acknowledging something they may not feel or know they feel, lack of awareness, is just to move on and say, well, I'm, I'm glad we're having this time together. Here's some things I'd like to cover. How about you? Just showing them even warmth, you know, even tempered, low-key warmth itself. The research yeah. said a slightly elevated eyebrows of all things, like the picture I'm seeing right now of your partner. <laughs> um, that geniality. And that grounded warmth is one of the best ways to even things out, looking on flower. Mm, mm, yes. Well, how you carry yourself. You know, I always, um, I, I see videos of myself and I nod a lot when people or other people are speaking. Even when I'm on the phone, I'll catch myself doing it with sort of big eyes and eyebrows raised and just sort of nodding like, yeah, I get it. I get it. And um, I've had people say that's a really great nonverbal feedback to receive because it lets you know that they're engaged and they're listening and they're approving of what you're saying. Um, and so and then later in my career as I became a speaker, I loved those people to sit on the front row because then I could get energy and enthusiasm, um, you know, by having them there. It's, uh, you know, the energy of another person can make or break your moment. So, you know, just trying to give off that positive energy to others is uh, is so critical. I don't know, John. You know, as I as I look through Kari's amazing body of work, you know, there's something she talks a lot about. You know, being the glue that pulls other people together. You know, that you can have money, you can have time, you can have talent. You know, you can have the best Rolodex in the industry. 
But if you can create an opportunity for you to be the glue that pulls other people together, that that is, you know, a a really, really rare, unique skill to have. And that that can kind of take you all the way to whatever you define as success. Um, I don't know. Do you think you're the glue, John? Well, you know, I like to be, and I love where you're going with this, um, because, you know, you know, we always talk to people uh, as leaders, and, you know, leaders are people that have influence, and whether you're, you know, running an organization, so an organization is two or more people who have a common purpose. This could be a family, a nonprofit, a work team that you're on, so you can lead sideways, lead your peers, you can lead down the people that report to you, you can lead up. Um, but you know, being that glue in an organization, you could change the entire culture of just that little area that you work in, uh, if you're intentional about it and you understand why. And Kari, I know this is something, you know, you have thought a lot about what, what is your best advice to people on how to influence that environment around them, you know, to create that mutuality, to, you know, to enhance that, those relationships, to enhance the communication. I think it's being clear and specific. So, for example, you talked about a team. Sometimes they need a leader. Sometimes it's a sidekick. Sometimes it's a facilitator. What role is going to play? But I know for opportunity makers, when they found sweet spots of mutual interest with people radically different than them, it's been my biggest source of joy and adventure. Um, You may not agree in everything, but within an organization, do what you did, John, when you started out. You said, you know, Dory Clark and uh, Mark Sanborn. So, of course, citing them and saying they said they should interview you, Kari, that's citing them that they're going to hear about that. So when I give speeches, going back to what you said earlier, I like to work with the meeting planner, for example, and say, here are three tips I'm going to cite. Can you give me an example of someone in the audience who might uh, embody that, that the other people know, like it's a a large company that I'm working with? So, for example, I say there's advantages of being real outgoing and advantages of being an introvert and advantages multiply when two different temperaments are together because they're innately more interesting to watch. So who's an introvert in the audience and who's an extrovert that are admired? So I stand on the stage and I look away from where that extrovert is and describe the power of it and the downside, just like the power of being an optimist versus a negative uh, versus a pessimist. There's advantages to both. But as I'm describing one kind of person, I'll then turn and pull my arm out and point at someone just as so-and-so does, pointing at that person. And I said, isn't that right, putting my hands up? to the audience and they will often cheer and I said conversely then I pause like who's going to be picked next and then I describe an introvert and then I point at that person so I guess what I'm saying glue often is when you introduce people together but don't skip the last mile say I thought the two of you or the three of you might want to talk together because it appears and I may be wrong that you have a sweet spot of mutual interest which is blankety blank so it sets them up to be more direct in their conversation, which is really helpful. And if you're starting a team, I love the book Team of Teams. Um, more than seven people on a team, it's really hard to do. But say the first time, this is our goal. You may have a better, more specific goal as we're working together. Secondly, I'm going to say why well, I picked each of you so you all are present and know. And third, I want us to agree on rules of engagement. 
What are the specific rules that will have govern how we act towards each other, towards about being on time, about a thread to the conversation, etc.? So those are some of the specific ideas. I believe in the power of specificity because it means when you get specific, you have more self-clarity. You reduce the chances other people misunderstand you. You're usually more credible because you're skewing a detail. And a specific detail proves a general conclusion, not the reverse. But it also makes it more interesting. So those are the, some of the things, I think, where you become glue. Because specificity means people will be more likely to remember what you say and tell other people. There's a wonderful book that Peter Goober, he's one of the co-owners of the Golden State Warriors and was the youngest president of Sony Pictures. He wrote a book called Tell to Win. And he said, craft the narrative that, other, that pulls other people in because they see a role they want to play in your story. And Richard Branson, famous as he is, still does that. He's always citing the people whose company backs and talks about what they did that was so great that made it grow. Well, I think that's so I, powerful. And, you know, you know, to add something to that with, a, you know, the teams that I work with, uh, in addition to, you know, laying the ground rules like you talk about, you know, one of the things that we always bring into those conversations um, is a simple question is, hey, when this team is together, how do we want to treat each other? And we have a brainstorming session and people, you know, respect, integrity, open-mindedness. We come up with, you know, this kind of this wonderful list. We always make sure that no gossip uh, is included on that list. Um, and gossip we define as talking negatively about somebody who's not part of the problem or the solution. And then we come up with this framework. But then I ask a second question to the group is, if you believe that somebody on this team, you know, violated one of those words, let's say it's respect, how do we want to handle that? And typically what the group will come up with after uh, a great discussion and they have ownership of the process is let's, I'm going to go to somebody one-on-one -on -one, and if we still can't resolve it because we want to make the relationship and the working environment, you know, the best possible that we can, hey, we're going to bring somebody else in who we trust to mediate that. And if that doesn't work, hey, we're going to bring it to the group because the functioning of this team is so important. And just as, as an example, I might feel disrespected if somebody shows up late or doesn't, you know, give me the, their work that they committed to on time. Um, or Sandra might feel disrespected because I'm not engaging with her in conversation or maybe I, I don't even realize this, but I'm rolling my eyes when she makes a comment. But if she can come up to me and say, hey, John, we did this, you know, we talked about this and I might be wrong, this could be me, but, you know, I don't know if you noticed it, but when... When I make some of these conversations, you don't engage or you kind of roll your eyes, and this is kind of how I'm feeling about it. But a lot of times people, you know, if we can give people uh, that are working around us those tools to just open the door to have these conversations, to make that productive team, to build those relationships, that can be just a huge gift to them. It sure Absolutely. can. But again, I go back to specificity. If we have a general category of a trait, um, people, it'll mean different things to different people. So if you started and you said, let me give you an example of three rules of engagement. One is there'll always be a thread to the conversation. Whoever spoke last, respond first to what they said and then move it on. Um, it's, it's not easy, but it's like being a dry alcoholic. Once a small team realizes they've gotten so they can do it, it's like someone who stopped being an alcoholic. They get upset if someone else's. Um, they go around and they sort of criticize and say, you don't have rules of engagement or you're not sticking to them. And then they have that second lesson to learn, um, which helps them learn 
how to tell someone else a way to be better. That's just my thought. Oh, that's lovely. I, um, I often find just by being very intentional, and I love something you said, it really stuck with me. You know, so often in today's world, we're all trying to be politically correct and say the right things. And um, sometimes we, we lose those specifics and that, you know, I call it being intentional. Or if I'm going to connect people because I think they'll like each other, or I think they can help each other, just say that. Just absolutely say, hey, I think you guys can help each other. Um, but but so often today, you know, we're, we're too worried about saying and doing the right thing, and, and we miss that. Right. But suggesting how they can connect again is, I think, the best way to start it out. And it shows yourself your awareness of them. And just notice how rarely people do that. They think, uh, or I get it a lot because I still write two columns. I think you'll really like this person. Here's, here, uh, and then they talk in generalities as they send something or a book that doesn't relate to what I cover. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, uh, you know, I was, as we were preparing for this interview, I was going through and, you know, I kept coming back to so much research. Oh, my goodness. And I'm a, a research hound, but <laughs> you, you, you are just over the top. But what I love, it, again, and it goes back to your word specifics, you take all that research and you digest it down into actionable insights that absolutely, you know, any human could do. You know, your books are very clear with bullet points and, you know, to do's and, hey, if, you know, if you do these things, this is what will happen. Um, so it seems to me that you, everything you do is very specific and intentional. How do you live that in your in your private personal life? Oh, that's a great question. I appreciate that. I think I don't separate out anymore different parts of my life because so many of the people I worked with have become friends and so on. It's just, but I think being more clear about what your hot buttons are. So you're less likely to react to them. I call it defensive driving. Um, mm-hmm. You look five cars ahead instead of hitting. When you see someone starting to act in a way that will bother you, say, what am I going to do to keep this on even keel? I don't want to add to it being a tumultuous time. And also, I really do believe in the power of saying specifically, these are three things you did that really helped me. And I've not said it to you before, and I think it's important. Um, and also, one of the joys I get in personal life and professional is to cite people in front of the people who matter to them. Say, I'm sure you may already know this, but one of the things that's been really helpful to me is so-and-so's capacity to do blank, blank, and blank. And because they did that, I was able to do blank, and otherwise I couldn't have. And so I think we all carve out ways that pull us closer. And the more close we get with diverse people serendipity is more likely to happen. We see patterns of what should pull us, what God wants us to do, and what we should avoid because it's just, it's not going to our skill set. Um, that's not that occurred to me. Last night, I was really honored to be in a small book club with Larry Brilliant, who wrote Sometimes Brilliant. He's a medical doctor. I mean, helped cure disease in certain countries. He's on the board of Salesforce. But in so many ways, he's lived like eight lives and um, I was listening to him answer questions and look closely, and he was so 
attentive and gentle and specific, giving eye contact to the 15 of us. And afterwards, when I spoke to him, I said, what's most important to you going forward, Larry? He says, well, I had the chance to be in different um, religions all around the world and see them in their villages and their other places of being. And I think there's threads that can bring them closer together. And since I've met these people, I want to see how I can bring them together because they'll be great role models. And um, he said it in a much more articulate, vivid way that I'm telling you now. But it deeply moved me. I mean, to have someone like him already uh, in every sector I can think of, public service, technology, religion, health, um, but he's not giving up. What should be highly curious? Kari, uh, you know, I know that you have a significant vision and a passion that, you, you know, you're moving toward. And out of that flowed, you know, the, the book that you've written recently, Mutuality Matters. And I'd love for you to share what mutuality is and when we embrace that as a mindset, as kind of, you know, uh, how we're showing up, what that can do, the ripple effect of mutuality uh, as we kind of bring that into the world around us. I love the way to ask that. That's just fabulous. I thank you. I think a mutuality mindset is an innate instinct to find what can connect us in a situation. Um, and when you do that, it's not about making about me or you. I actually wrote a book called Getting What You Want. Ironically, that was not the title I wanted. Um, and it was about triangle talk. When I say, when you say something to somebody, say, talk about them, then how it relates to you, and then how it relates to something you have in common. So a mutuality mindset in a world where the law of unintended consequences becoming the norm, not the exception, and bad and good can hit fast is to see what can bring these people together in the situation I'm in. Um, can I be on the lookout for people who are very different than me in talent and temperament? How can we find something small to work on together that if it feels good to us, we want to do more? And I believe healthy relationships aren't a quid pro quo, but an ebb and flow of mutual support. Grant, he wrote Givers and Takers. He said six, as well as the most successful. And it's learning how to give and take care of yourself and balance yourself as well. And to notice who takers are. And if you let them take all the time, you're rewarding them for behavior you don't want to, to share. There's a man, uh, Roe, who wrote, who does the TV show Dirty Jobs. Yes, my he's, Roe. He's, he's, yes, thank you. But I've really seen in a subsequent study that when people adopt a mutuality mindset, they innately tend to look more affable, be more grounded, affable, I mean. And they and their instinct is to say, well, if you did that, what if so-and-so and so-and-so did that? Or uh, who could we bring in that would allow what I call a virtuous circle where things would be self-fulfilling and innately grow? Um, so I think those are, in my too long-winded answer, John, those are the things that draw me and pull me to it. You have a more, more adventuresome life. Um, you are able to accomplish more. You can recruit the right teams to make things happen, solve problems, um, seize opportunities. But people have to experience doing it and how it feels to want to do it more. 
So here, here's a question that I ask groups when I'm working with teams, especially in an organization, a lot of you know, corporations in the military. And we talk about core beliefs of an organization, but we also talk about individual core beliefs. And what if my core beliefs that I've of my own person are very, very different, maybe even opposite of somebody else that I'm working with or engaging with and having a conversation? Um, it has become, you know, a little bit cultural when opposite core beliefs tends to create lack of communication and conflict. And I always ask people, you know, how, you know, how would you relate and work with somebody who you know doesn't share any, you know, share your core beliefs? Um, you know, what are your, what are your thoughts on that, Kari? Because it's something we need to get way better at in, in our world right now. I guess I absolutely agree with you. It's a foreign classy on the media and in the news, um, people hardening their beliefs and, and getting more extreme. Because when you're around people where all believe exactly the same as you, research shows, you, you tend to become more extreme about those. So I think it's hard, but it has a high reward. I have several friends who I believe have different core beliefs than I do. And I said, as an excuse for our own learning, what if we keep on exploring whether there's some area, some project that matters to us both in the same way, uh, action that we want to take together? Uh, because if we do find some, and we are very specific with each other, not just about our core beliefs, but how we want them manifested, because that gets the specificity. Because I believe in the rule of three, God, you know, the rule of three, the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, uh, is really powerful for interesting us, for visibility, for credibility, for value, for people to talk about it. So getting three people who get together and say this is one thing we absolutely agree on they think should happen this is a law that we think should be implemented this is a practice within our organization or this is something a cause we're to take a stand on in this specific way and they said but this is a specific thing and for those of you who, who believe that we have um, something that you could support we'd like it this is a specific thing but it really has huge impact after that um, I remember one guy when he thought the Microsoft, he says, and in spite of myself, I think I'm liking the, beginning to like you people more. <laughs> so I, I want to draw on humor on specificity for credibility. And, and you're going to see some happening in April and May, by the way, that I can say after they've happened. So give people that enticing possibility. And we all want to be known for something that matters to us. So seeking out those unexpected allies and saying, okay, we can give up at any point, but it's worth trying to find something specific that we would like to take an action on together. Yeah, so what I'm hearing is, you know, honor the person that you're talking to, um, you know, seek understanding, uh, you know, about them and their views instead of judging. Find that common ground where your passions, your interests, your outcomes overlap and work from that place. And uh, like you, I've been able to develop, you know, incredibly successful working relationships with people who, you know, on the surface, you know, didn't look like we had a lot in common. But, you know, that's, that's the approach that, you know, we've taken. Yes, I think it's good to stretch us. I call it seeing more sides of the table. And, and agreeing up front and not trying to get somebody to change their views. Because ironically, the best way to change is to say, now that I see you acting this way, I can see why. And it's opened my eyes, so maybe I will be edging over towards that view. 
Well, honestly, I'm not, but I wanted to tell you that. That kind of candor without making people wrong is a, an extraordinary way to bond with people, certain people, and won't work all the time, but it's worth trying. I love it. I, I think that, you know, whether you call it authenticity or specific, being a specificity or intentionality, it's really just about calling a spade a spade, isn't it? Just saying, hey, here's here's where we all are. Let's talk about this. I don't know if you've ever seen, um, uh, you know, uh, I've worked in a lot of nonprofits and consulted for a lot of nonprofits. And, you, you know, the sad statistics are that very few nonprofits make it. And I have a theory because um, most people come together in a nonprofit and they're wonderful, big hearted people who want to do great things. But they aren't blunt enough with one another, I guess is a nice way to say it. And so everybody's sort of walking around without calling people out or holding people accountable. Um, and so, you know, a year goes by, two, year, two years go by, and the nonprofit is a, is a disaster or a failure. And you look back and you kind of do a, what I call a stop, start, continue. And things could have been fixed really early on had there just been really blunt discussions. Do you, I mean, do you see that a lot as well? I see it, but I think part of it comes from a different way. I think when someone who wants to start a cause or a nonprofit and gets very specific about what they want to have changed and how they could go about doing it, they're more likely to assemble the team that can be capable of doing it. And if they approach one person and say, this is my goal, this is the approach I'm going to take, these are the resources, what do you think? And if the two of them find there's commonality, then they go after the third and so on. And I believe in the three M's. This is like for giving public speaking, the three M's are what's my core message, what's the method by which they're going to hear about it, and what's the market I want to reach. Well, the same thing is true in a nonprofit. Who are the people who are natural allies? Who are the ones who would disagree? What are the organizations that would benefit from aligning with us, aligning with us specifically how? So, for example, one of my hero groups is called Benetech, B-E-N-E-T-E-C-H. And they assemble certain kinds of specific uh, digital tools that help in social justice in three core areas. So since they stuck to those three core areas, their tools have scaled naturally. They've attracted um, funding without asking for it for the first few years. So I guess what I'd say back is clarity. Um, what do you want to change? Who can help you change it? What tools are needed? What organizations would it benefit them back to mutuality to have the halo of participating in that? And then, then I think you, you start from a stronger place and you mutually reinforce each other as it goes along. Mm, absolutely. That, no, that's great. What about parenting? What, what do you, uh, um, I'm, I'm ready for you to write a parenting book. So, the, <laughs> so can, can we put that on your to-do list, please? <laughs> well, I think it's really powerful, and I think kids are keen observers. So it's how much time they spend with us and how we act with other people and literally what we do together in motion because motion is where we connect more for better, for good. So if we're in motion together, something I don't like, it's stronger. So, for example, we did walk talks with my um, 
parents. And they said, notice what you're going to see when we walk to this park. What most interests you? Where do you want to go? So they taught us to be observant and to sort of be slightly competitive. I have a God kid whose parents went through a nasty, horrible divorce. And the man who lives up the hill from me is a retired FBI agent. So I said to him, look, at, they're going to stay with me for a week, these two God kids. One is five, one is seven. And he said, well, teach them observation skills. We're going to send them down into Sausalito where we live and say, observe and notice when are people doing behavior you really like? When does it look peculiar? And then we'll stand outside and you report back to us. And then we told some people at a restaurant and a store and so on, they're coming in. Could you be peculiar in some way, good or bad? And so they loved having a responsibility. They loved that they would go and look and come back. And they loved being praised specifically for noticing so much. So I guess in a parenting thing, I did a study for Disney six years ago. They asked me to stand in the lobby at Disneyland Hotel and say, um, we want to really pull in kids very young, suck into them so they love Disneyland. They didn't say it quite that way. So he said, <laughs> which part of our decorations, our wall, this gorgeous floor, these animals, all this stuff in the lobby, tell us what it most fascinates them. So I got to work with this other person, and it took us all of an hour to figure it out, and then we had a three-day gig. And I came back, and I said to them, that's easy, the cell phone. When their parents are on a cell phone and not paying attention to them, they look sad, and they want to grab it. And they actually grabbed them things in the lobby that looked like cell phones because they felt deprived. Wow. They felt, um, so, you know, that was a wake-up call for, for me as well as for them. So it's what, what you pay attention to. What you praise, how you treat other people in different moods and settings, because um, kids want approval and they want to emulate, so they're imitators whether we want it or not. <laughs> so, no, so, that's great. That's yeah. Powerful. So, so whether it's an experience of of having a, a young child go into a restaurant and observe, or whether it's this amazing fantasy land of of Disney World, Disneyland. It's Lobby. the parents' participation in that with the kid versus not being there. Because you were clearly engaged in participating with the kids when you were in Sausalito. And wow, what a great takeaway is just to be present with our kids and engaged. And regardless of the you know circumstances around us, you're going to be building that relationship and sowing into them. And it's going to be valuable to them. Right. And I think showing affection to each other as parents and showing affection to them. Nothing like a warm hug and for them seeing you show appropriate affection. I think one of the downsides of this much needed movement where women are calling out men who harassed them is there's been several companies and organizations where we come up and we hug each other, men, women, 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 whatever. Um, so now we're all going to have to be more careful that way, but I don't want the affection of warmth and voice and a hug, an appropriate one, by the way, um, and handshaking to go away. Well, you know, you bring up a, a, such a great point, too. You know, it's just about being present. It's not just with your kids, but like one of my biggest yes. pet peeves is I'm sitting there having a conversation with somebody, and they're pulling out their cell phone and answering texts or checking email. And they're like, and I'm, and they're <laughs> like yeah, go ahead, go ahead. And, and I, I feel like, you know, th they don't really care, uh, especially, uh, you know, in an organization, if that's your boss and he keeps doing it to you, what is that message that you're really sending across? And that could be totally unintentional. I think I'm being a great boss because I'm multitasking, but I'm really sending a, 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 the wrong message to people around me, whether it's my kids, 
my peers, my employees, you know, whatever it happens to be. Amen to that. I heartily agree, John. Really. Well, how do people connect with you? Uh, your website is Say It Better, sayitbetter.com. And mm -hmm. how else do people find out more about you and what you've done, Kari? Well, there's the old Google, Google my name, uh, and they'll see. I have a blog called Moving From Me To We. Um, but I think whenever you're going to go meet somebody, Google search them and see where they've appeared in other profiles. What do they highlight? And more importantly, who do they highlight and for what reasons? I think that's so I'd be honored if they want to get my blog moving from me to we and um, if they gave their frank comments about what I talk about, connective behavior and quotability. Yeah, and to successfully Google you, it's Kari, spelled K-A-R-E, Kari Anderson, <laughs> so they can get onto the right, the right page with uh, what you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Well, you know, hey, as we wrap up, and as people have been listening to this whole conversation, what, what final thoughts would you like to just leave with, with everybody listening around the world? Whoa. I think it's to believe in yourself and to notice where you're pulled so you get very specific on what your top mission is in life. And um, there's a book called Why Quitters Win. Quit some of the lesser things so you can give your full talent and, and caring on that path and then be open to where it evolves. And have be a good supportive friend to people because one of the biggest signs is when someone helps you before you knew you needed help in a way you didn't know you needed and didn't know they could provide. Step forward and be that kind of proactive friend. Um, clarity about the mission. I really enjoy talking with you two. It's been clarifying for me. Well, it's our pleasure. And, you know, I think the, the be present, be in the moment, make eye contact, arch your eyebrows slightly, and just affirm the warm-bodied human that's in front of you at that given moment. I mean, that is something, John, every single one of us can apply. <laughs> you know, and if we all did that, the, the, we talked about the ripple effect before, right? You know, we can, you know, people get, you know, tired of the discourse and some of the cultures that are, you know, across the, you know, in multiple, you know, countries, but we can start making changes right around us. And what goes, you know, starts personally making some of these changes, goes locally, can go, you know, through our community and can go nationally. So I just want to encourage everybody out there that by, you know, taking some of the things that Kari shared, that Sandra shared and applying them and just making these small changes can over time have these exponential positive effects. So. Um, I would just like to echo that mutuality, what we've been talking about, really does matter uh, because it's about building relationships, honoring the value of other people, finding common purposes, and then together working towards something meaningful. And I think that is something that, that every one of us would like more of in our lives. Wow, that was a wonderful capsule summary. Truly, I thank you so much. 